I think a lot of the anxiety I was describing before comes from a sense of being alone mm -hmm. and like that's not true. So how can I rebuild my sense of actually being fundamentally connected? constant realigning towards a sense of belonging and together and connection. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 14 of the Noble Dreams podcast. Yes, that's right, 14, and that means that we have officially surpassed the average number of episodes for a startup podcast where most people bail, which is pretty exciting. I'm really proud of that and proud of all of you for coming along, proud of us for doing this together. It's a big deal. Um, this week, we have a couple of things. The first thing that we have is a um, submission from our dear friend Sarah over in Scotland who has a little beautification, stretching one's comfort zone um, story, which I kind of would lump in as a uh, Brie Brie Mission One report uh, for doing a small thing to beautify the world that may have a bigger effect than one could have ever intended. The second thing we have is an interview or slash just really conversation with my dear old friend Drusilla. And we were able to go and sit by the river in order to record that podcast. So you will hear some white noise because it's river and there's some traffic in the background and stuff. And the audio levels are a little funky because I we, we were it was raining a little bit and we were sitting outside and I had to keep the equipment covered and I also didn't want to wear my headphones because I didn't want them to get wet so I had to do it visually as opposed to listening and the result of that is there's a couple times where one of us gets a little loud and a little one of us gets a little quiet I tried to address it in the editing booth and some of it's a little bit beyond what I can do so um, just bear with it you might have to hit up and down with your volumes a couple times and I apologize for that and it's okay it's not a big deal it's not drastic um yeah you'll hear in the conversation talking about a Miyazaki film the film is Castle in the Clouds I was mistaken or not mistaken just confused when we were talking um that is the film that she was referring to and um I have not seen that one yet I look forward to it I've been very slowly making my way through the Miyazaki catalog and there's some stories around that that I'll share at another time. They've had pretty dramatic effects on me, those films. Um, okay. And also, so we talk with, oh, and, and yeah, at the end there's a song. Uh, I do a cover, I recorded a cover today of the song that that Drew mentions in the, in the conversation, so I'll let her introduce that uh, further along. And also, this um, this conversation is a lot about restorative justice, which is work that um, Drew is starting to get involved with and going to school for. And uh, I wanted to share with you a story about that and about forgiveness. Um, I'm not going to share your just story directly. It's not my story, but I'll link to it in the show notes. There's um, both a Radiolab episode and a Moth story 
recorded um, with a man named Hector Black about recording uh, about forgiveness that is well in my judgment a pretty stunningly beautiful and amazing and thought-provoking and human story uh, so that's pretty awesome I wanted to talk briefly I've been alluding to it I've been sick for almost seven weeks uh, with something that may be viral and maybe Lyme disease it's a little bit hard to tell based on the blood results blood test results and stuff and part of it is a cognitive uh, effect is that I feel a little bit dumbed down and uh, conjuring up the right or the at least the fitting words to say in a sentence is a slower process than it usually is. I kind of feel like my thesaurus has been dropped into some water or something. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, I do work as a coach, like as a sort of dreams coach, life coach kind of thing. Uh, and I also do this podcast. Those are two things that I've been able to do while my body's been pretty slowed down. I'm usually very active and just can't be right now. And the reason I want to talk about that briefly is because I've had a really incredible experience, which is that I kind of put a prayer out before I do these conversations that I can just be present and be as eloquent as I need to be for the time being, for the hour or hour and a half or whatever it is that we end up doing. And I just, it's been a really beautiful experience um, because it's it's been, it's worked out so far. And it's not like I'm the most beautifully, naturally articulate person in the whole world and stuff, but the times I've recorded uh, the episodes with Cy Montgomery and with Jim Rooney and this one with Drew, all these uh, have been done while I've been sick. And like afterwards, I'm completely drained and like I take a dive quickly, energetically. Um, but, but, but during the experience, I feel very, it's almost like a flow state. Like I feel hyper present. I feel really, it's like such a, I have this awareness that it's such a, it's such a gift to be able to sit with somebody and hear their stories and their perspectives and uh, and then I'm able to focus in both for the podcasts and for, for doing coaching calls. And it's just a really incredible experience. And I wanted to share that a little bit uh, because it's been um, something that I've really remarked upon that it's like I'm so grateful to be able to do these things right now um, because a lot of times I don't have it in me to pull off stuff like this and to be able to somehow allocate the energy towards making it happen. Um, even during days when I'm not feeling well at all, has been a, a super gift. So anyways, like Sarah has done, please, please, please keep sending in your stories and your ideas and your poems and your songs and voice recordings and your mission reports and everything like that. I think next week we'll, I have an idea for how to work in Bree Bree's missions number two, uh, which I'm looking forward to doing with and for you. And uh, the best way to submit those is NobleDreamsPod at gmail.com. NobleDreamsPod at gmail.com. I post more pictures and uh, episode announcements and stuff at uh, at Noah Days Noble Nights at Noah Days Noble Nights on Instagram. And if you haven't noticed, the episodes come out on Tuesdays at like uh, 12:01 a.m. That's that's my target goal every week, and luckily for the most part, I've been making it happen. And thank you to all those who are donating their uh, submissions via all those things I just mentioned, and also uh, financially by using the tip jar feature, which is in the show notes as well. That's a beautiful and easy way to contribute 
to this podcast if it's meaningful to you if it's speaking to you if it's doing anything for you and you want to support the creation of it i'm incredibly grateful any amount of money if you can give a dollar five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars a hundred thousand dollars whatever you can shake out of your pockets um, that you might spend on something that's arguably less edifying or interesting or uh i don't know occupying up time and space or whatever I'm uh, so, so, so grateful for all of those people who have been contributing and to all those who are listening and sharing it with people who they think might benefit. This thing is growing and it's beautiful and I'm so pumped about it. I'm really honored to be part of this and to uh, be including other people and celebrating other people that I love. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. And just, you know, general feedback, just drop me a line, drop me an email and say, if a certain episode, you know, made you think about something or that you hated it or whatever, whatever, I'm open to that. And, and it's really nice to hear from people who are listening because otherwise I'm a little bit in the little echo chamber or, or chamber over here. Anyways, without further ado, um, this is a conversation with Drusilla and it was really wonderful and it was really great to see her and hadn't we hadn't connected in a while and this is literally like you're hearing other than us chit-chatting a little bit on the way down to the river you're hearing us do this in real time uh reconnect and and uh, celebrate our friendship and love for each other and have some nature experiences along the way um so thank you so much drew for taking that leap and uh and being part of this in the way that you have. It's such a gift in my judgment. Two separate butts, it's not one butt, it's two. Okay, thanks you all for being here and I hope you dig this rest of this episode with Sarah and Drew. Hi, um, this is Sarah from Scotland and I'm here to tell a little story about an interaction I had recently when I was coming out of a supermarket one day. Um, I was pushing my toddler in um, a trolley and a woman was approaching me and she looked amazing. She looked really glamorous. Um, she had these big shades on and red lipstick and a, um, like a leopard print jacket, which I hope wasn't real firm. <laughs> um, and she just looked beautiful. Um, and just as she was about to walk past me in that moment was like soon to be lost forever. <laughs> like a split second sort of sensation of how if I didn't tell her then, like that, that moment would just be gone. Um, and it would be a real waste not to tell her like what I was thinking and my, my communicate my sense of admiration. So I just said like, you look gorgeous. <laughs> and the woman, um, she was maybe in her 70s or 80s, she like grabbed onto my arm um, quite firmly and said thank you. Um, and she seemed really happy. <laughs> and it made me feel really happy too. Um, and it was just glorious. Um, and it was meaningful to me because um, I think it's really important. I find it really important to take time to notice beauty in my everyday life. I 
get a lot of pleasure from connecting with people. There's something so beautiful for me about connecting with a stranger, someone I might never see ever again, but just for that split second, that connection feels like significant and important um, and like maybe a little celebration. <laughs> um, and that sometimes maybe it can feel, I can feel a little vulnerable, um, but that my belief is that I want to share love that I feel because it's authentic and it's true to me. So it kind of doesn't really matter what people, like how people respond because it just feels good for me to do that. <laughs> That's the end of my story. Cheers. like the colorscape of anxiety and oh wow that's deep okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay we're officially rolling now. okay <laughs> uh, i think the levels will be good enough okay so would you please introduce yourself sure um to whatever level you want to <laughs> my name is drew Wesley. um i'm a friend of yours i yes <laughs> live in burlington um i well i'm not actually sure how to introduce myself that's fine. That's a lot of information. I like to talk about people with people that I know already. I like to talk about a little bit of an origin story. Okay. So, like for instance, you and I, I moved into a big house in Burlington after I graduated from college with um, <laughs> people. There was like between five and eight of us at any <laughs> given time, and I was there from no November on. And everyone was like, well, your room is being given up to this Drusilla person. <laughs> and I said, that's fine. In January. Okay. And so I was in a big room upstairs. And then I was leaving to go to on a trip. But there was a interim period. And so when you moved back to the house with some of your dear friends, and I moved out of one part of the house I moved into the downstairs bathroom yes in January <laughs> <laughs> and that bathroom was not generally used and it was or generally warm or generally yeah the door was always closed and it was not well insulated so it was crazy cold in there but it was a pretty good room for a couple yeah. of weeks covered in mirrors and blankets right yeah, a whole lot of blankets and mirrors yeah and it was right next to the kitchen which I didn't love but it was, uh, I was grateful for this, to have the space regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've been friends ever since. Yeah. Yeah, we have. Yeah. There was a couple, there were a couple things about that. Like living in that house on Loomis Street was, was like a dream in some ways because yeah, some of my best friends were living there and then people that I didn't know, but seemed like characters in my unconscious or something were there. Like, that's also where I became friends with Trav and, like, Link and, obviously, Lauren was a close friend already. But, like, Louise had been in the house and naming a lot of names. But, like, each one of these people had, like, a very... My relationship to them had, I feel like, 
so a lot of mostly things that I didn't understand that pointed out like things I didn't understand about myself and also then like surrounded by so much love and just like smiles. What, what do you mean when you say things that you didn't understand about yourself? Like having those pointed at. Maybe this is fast to jump into this, but just like in particular, the Loomis experience for me was one of like longing, like feeling distance from people and longing for closeness while in extremely close proximity and also like in like heavy company often, but like kind of a lonely feeling. And I think that was like broken or maybe it was only obvious because like my best friend in the world was there, Claire. And so there was like a deep familiarity also, but you know, like things as simple as like being so, so interested in what Trav was thinking about, but not having the vocabulary to engage in the way that I wanted to, but like felt was possible. Like all the inside parts of my body were like, you know what this is, like you know what's, what this is and how to understand this, but you can't communicate about it. I don't know, have you ever felt that way before? You didn't have the weirdo vocabulary yet? I didn't have the weirdo vocabulary, I guess, is what it was. <laughs> In the best way possible, in my judgment. Yeah, I, I, I felt, um, I kind of was similar. I was, like, busy when I was there, and I was living, you know, Trav's my best friend in the world for very many years. Uh, I have a few best friends. I don't, you know, people I grew up with, I categorize similarly. It's not an exclusive club. Um, and then, but I also, yeah, I also felt very lonely in certain ways because, A, most of the people in the house were partnered up with other people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I just wanted to hang or play or do something, either people were like always doing homework or because mm -hmm. <laughs> some people were mm -hmm. still in school or there was just this sort of like, no, I'd rather cuddle in with my, mm -hmm. with my uh, partner. And, and I remember it like definitely I had my little uh, rat friend dog box. Oh my God, of company. course, dog <laughs> But other than that, uh, yeah, there was definitely... And, like, you know, obviously being hopelessly in love with mm. the aforementioned person. And, like, I just remember, like, laying in bed a lot of nights and being like, I wish I wasn't alone right now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so close to so many people in different ways. Like, they're all close friends and, like, I love them dearly, but we didn't have that sort of, like, let's all cuddle up together relationship. And I think part of me, this happened a lot of times in my life where I, like, really wished that I had that with the people I was with. And... Sometimes facilitating that in the in the world is tricky. Intimacy. Well, certain a certain type. Yeah. And sometimes it's really fluid and easy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's uh, it's trickier. That's a good description of what I was trying to get at. Like I think in some ways I just kind of felt like an outsider, and I could never tell if it was me that was just putting myself on the outside, making it tricky, or if it just like wasn't that smooth and that that's okay. And that if I maybe stopped worrying about it, it would have gotten smoother. Yeah, maybe. If you look at your life, that so that was in 2011. That yeah. You moved in right in January 2011. Mm -hmm. We're now in October of 2019. What, this is a two-part question. What, and you might have just answered actually partially, <laughs> but what do you see as sort of like your biggest um, changes as a human being in that time period? And the second part is, what would you tell yourself that person moving, let's just take that specific time period, moving into Loomis in January of 
2011, what would you tell yourself now being uh, eight years out or whatever, almost nine? Yeah, yeah. That's a good two-part question. I feel like it's very relevant because I'm still, like, I mean, I think that some of the anxieties that I was feeling then are still super present now and, like, haven't actually probably changed that much, which maybe that's, like, the in-between question to your answer to your two questions. So what has changed a lot um, over that time is just, like, learning how to trust myself in different circumstances. Like I feel in some ways that I have like learned what are the things I do that I um, become less self-conscious in. And I don't know, you know, people talk about like flow state or whatever, but like what are the things that I do that I lose myself in? And it's not about, it's not like a double experience of me seeing myself doing it and being like in a, some sort of like narcissistic worry loop um, and being able to spend more time doing those things and like kind of trying to learn the willpower to keep at it, even when those things feel tougher, knowing that they're like some, they're called <laughs> like some part of me is being compelled toward it. And I don't have to question that, like just a journey and trusting, I guess. Mm. And then related, like the thing I would want to tell myself back when I was moving into Loomis was just to like relax that like everyone is different and like you don't have to have the answers or like I mean have the answers what a cliche thing to say but like you don't have to know what's coming or like know who you are in relation to other people in a room that you can just like listen and like breathe and just like when you feel compelled to say something or do something or move a certain way, you can follow it. Mm. But that it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be like a nervousness around not being accepted. Yeah, cool. That's beautiful. I'm thinking a lot of things as you're, <laughs> as you're sharing it. Yeah. Man, I think I can imagine a lot of people would say similar things to themselves, to their past selves if they had a chance. Mm-hmm. I definitely would say similar things to myself in the past and currently in certain situations. It's amazing to me how much fear I have in social situations. Yeah, it's crazy. And how deeply I really don't want to be seen sometimes. I just want to be there mm -hmm. and, and observe and listen and learn. And I wish sometimes, like the, <laughs> the other week I went to a show in... Um, the townhouse in, in, in Stratford, but I was feeling so crappy and I really right now generally can't do much in the evenings. And it was at seven o'clock and I, I had to bail like really, really early into it. And there was all these people I really love and w would normally want to talk to, but I really just wanted to put a sign on me that said like, I'm just here to listen and try to support <laughs> these people playing music. I really don't want to chit chat. And I, if I look miserable, it's because I don't feel good. And you know, <laughs> I can't wait to catch up with you another time. It wouldn't be quite so verbose, but like something along those lines. Uh. Yeah, I think I just like for a long time identified as somebody who could get along with anyone and like put myself in a lot of social situations to be a friend or make a new friend or like show up and be positive presence. And I think for a long time had like a kind of warped sense of how vulnerable some of those connections really were. And I think maybe thought that I was like exposing more of myself than I actually was. Mm. 
And so there was like a kind of light switch sort of, not like moment, but period of time where I was just starting to realize that I actually felt like a lot more scared and full of fear than I feel like I had wrestled with before. And so in some ways I feel like, I mean, today I probably should have said in my introduction, I just like have been having an anxious couple of days where I'm like, it's kind of fear, but it's more so like a fear of delusion <laughs> that I'm like trapping myself in certain frames of thinking um, that make it more difficult for me to like authentically connect with people. I mean, I say authentic, but I really mean like in a joyful way, like in a graceful way. Can you say more about that? Like yeah, these like, frames of thinking, what, what does that mean? Or what does that look like for you? Well, I feel like I think it goes back to like an example of a frame that I feel like a lot of people have been talking about recently is like a problem frame, like that there's a problem and it needs to be fixed, just anything. And that making everything into a problem begs a solution and like the problem solution dynamic is sort of capitalistic and very um, like cause and effect actually doesn't really reflect accurately like the complexity of all of our experiences and situations and that things are always changing and never fixed in one moment and so that like to say that there's a problem and you're going to fix it is a frame that then makes you look for what's a problem in your life and how to solve it instead of being in maybe a more open place of like accepting what's going on allowing the things that are going on to happen and then like ask questions about whether those whether those observations are true or are they more fluid and like how does it open up Lauren and I were just talking about Byron Katie and she had been reading some Byron Katie and Tara Brock who has that podcast maybe you listen to it's like a meditation Buddhist meditation podcast she talks a lot about this too. Like what happens if instead of things being a problem, even like anxiety and fear in the way that I've already talked about it here, like what if those things weren't a problem? We just recognized them as they were happening, allowed them to be there, and then asked them questions about the extent to which they're really solid or actually fluid. And then what's there when like it's fluid? Yeah, yeah, it's curiosity. Cause yeah. The word that... Right. It's so, yeah. I found it incredibly liberating the more in my life I focus on curious. I've always been a curious, curious person, but I've also definitely been in that mindset of like, this is wrong. Why is it wrong? Must be fixed. Right. A lot of that sort of for a lot of my life and much more recently, I, I've just been shifting more and more towards the curiosity and it's been like a really liberating experience for me. <laughs> Totally. Um, both in the way I treat myself, in the way that I treat other people, and just the world in general. I remember something that I struggled with a lot for many years was like obsessive thinking, just looping the mm -hmm. same sort of thoughts over and over, and not knowing what to do about that, and like kind of trying try sort of bringing other people into the equation to try to right. somehow get them to solve it for me or with me or something. Yep. And a therapist that I was seeing at the time offered this thing, which was just to, when the thought comes up, just go, huh. <laughs> and just notice it. Like, hey, there you are, basically. Right. And I always assumed that I had to, like, get down to the bottom of this 
and figure out where it originally came from and blah, blah, blah. And that was the only way I could ever, that had to be some complex thing, but just that simple practice was by far the most effective and liberating thing that I had ever come across. Right. I mean, this is making me think about, like, I'm really interested in the um, idea of the internal family systems. Yeah. That whole, like, therapeutic approach, but also just, I mean, like, even lowercase of those letters to not talk about something that I really don't know a whole lot about, but just the idea that there are different parts of yourself that are always in relationship and that they are kind of looking for different things or like they're on their own kind of bent. They've got their own perspective. They're advocating for something, but just like with one another and then how you look at those. Like my, our friend Tara used to talk about all parts coming and sitting around a living room table, like inside yourself and like, what are they gonna have a conversation about? And like, how will they interact? And thinking about like, just being like, hey, what's up? To a, f- a feeling or a thought that's kind of looping rather than fixing your fixing yourself to it and then like traveling around with it, wherever it's gonna go. Thinking about like, what are the other parts of you that are seeing it and responding to it? And like, which is, like whose is the voice that's like, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. And like, what else does that voice bring with it? And I'm really interested in that like micro, 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 microcosm system. And then taking like a thousand steps outside of yourself and looking at the system as it's manifested outside of us. And like in some way that there's a problem, fix it, is the same as the punishment paradigm that Mm -hmm. like restorative justice, as we were talking about before, is in response to. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about what you just said. And and I also just want to include with what I just said before that I'm not by any means against going and finding the root of something. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's just that in, in in addition, both and finding tools to help kind of maintain through the day are also incredibly valuable and helped me get to a better place of trust of like this, figuring out where it's going to come from is probably going to like I could trust that I'll f- that that'll come. But I don't have to like try so hard because it's not working. But my experience, I, I since last November until like July or August, July I think, I was working with a therapist doing internal family systems, oh. and I found it to be after a while incredibly helpful hmm. because for someone who has a very like right brain sort of chaotic <laughs> internal. You know, I'm very creative, but I'm not, like, like organization and numbers and stuff is not always, like, my go-to. <laughs> um, and it it was incredibly helpful for, to me, for me for a lot of reasons, but one was just to bring some organization. So, like you said, like, when something comes up, I could go, oh, that's this part. And we had little names for them mm, and little yeah. characters, you know. <laughs> it's, like, very childlike, which I, I think is also helpful when you're dealing with young patterns to make these little characters and two things are really interesting to me about that one is that I think most of us when we step outside of ourselves or think of ourselves as a child we realize that we would never treat ourselves the way that we do Mm -hmm. if we weren't within ourselves and sort of in Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. place where it's hard to get some perspective and so it helped me really look at that and also, like, the same way that, like, nonviolent communication works and stuff like that, where you start to see people and learn. 
I mean, you can conjecture and guess for yourself, but also listen to what needs the person is trying to get met. And that is a very different way to look at the world as opposed to just like, wow, this is really annoying. (laughs) 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 Or, Or this person is a pain in the ass. But to start to remember that like in the same way, like the way I look at it is like the same way that I have these little characters inside of me is as they're imaginary on one hand and on the other hand, they're very real because they are different facets of myself as far as I see myself. And if I can extend that to the outside world and try to remember that mm-hmm. each and every person has similar things going on within themselves and the way that they present is not usually, especially when they're dealing with things that are challenging them or, or, or triggering their own traumas, big, big uppercase T or little case T, that that's where they're reacting from. And that's not them. It's, a, it's learned behaviors and it's learned strategies in order for them to be able to just get through the world and survive their own childhoods. And that stuff is hard to unlearn. Right. And it helps me have a lot of compassion for other people. Absolutely. I'm and, not perfect. Yeah. I still get pissed and stuff. But oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Big time. Big time. But like, yeah. And it also makes me feel more compassionate toward systems and the way that they function. Like sometimes I've questioned, like, why have I been able to survive so long in what could from one perspective look like a like stifling bureaucracy? Like, so I work in state government for the Agency of Human Services, whose like mission is at its core to help communities become resilient and to support people in times of deep vulnerability recognize and remember their resilience. That's not how the agency talks about itself. That's not how our services have been created. It's like based on a system of rules and eligibility, which in and of themselves don't respond to real needs, which are so much more complex Mm. on any given day. They create categories of need. And in that, they create clients, basically. It's not really a human-centered system it's it's like system centered system it's in and of itself very narcissistic in the way that it finds problems and attempts to solve them within sort of a closed loop and I know that's a lot to say without like a lot of explanation behind it but what I wanted to say relative to what you said was that like in some ways recognizing the ways in which my own internal system and all my little characters can sometimes create dysfunction and closed loops like so can that one and that system also has different characters and parts that are reacting to each other and that ultimately there's like a deep sense of possibility and ability to a capability to create good things and to like be one positive player in a much bigger picture in terms of Vermont and supporting people to thrive in their lives but it gets in its own way constantly so like the obsessive thinking parallel in the agency is like meetings after meetings after meetings with the same conversations happening and like no results coming from it and like no one in the room that's representing their own lived experience of like trauma or um, experience with the services which they may have had in their family or themselves at any given time like I've got a friend Will who I work with at the agency who I deeply respect and admire who certainly in and of himself is like one character of the agency's like soul or mind and um like he himself was homeless for years of his life like living on the street and putting up a sign and figuring it out day to day to day and his perspective 
at the agency like is in and of itself so cutting through that obsessive thinking um mm. anyway so which is all to say that like giving or like recognizing the value in each of those parts and like each of those characters and like building equity in the internal family system so that they can speak and fully express themselves to one another seems like a really important part of like facilitating some of this change what do you see as your as as the being that you are uh, what do you see as your biggest gift to such a system because of your awareness as a human? What I've like come to accept, accept and love about myself um, is something that I've been lucky to have like mirrored back to me by a couple colleagues and friends. So I feel a little mm, awkward claiming it just because Good, like I'm proud of it, <laughs> but is um, like synthesis and facilitation. So like being able to braid together lots of different seemingly unrelated ideas into one picture that's actually whole and seems like it represents the whole. And I collage, I spend a lot of time collaging, making collages outside of work with paper. And I feel like that's a really similar craft that's like built out of the same, like everything is whole already. And then we, through our consciousness and, per and perception, like break it into these little bits and pieces that we can recognize and understand and that carry meaning in these like little packets. And then we reconstruct those holes based on our understanding. And that's how we get a sense of reality, like what's going on. It's like we've seen like, okay, what is that little plant? Like what's that little pool of water? What's that big flowing thing of water? Like who's this person next to me? Like there's his earring. <laughs> and like understand all those little things and then you piece it together to say like here I am. And that's what happens in a collage. And I think that's what my like work is at the agency is to try to help people like put all the pieces of a puzzle back together. Sweet. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I was going to ask you about collaging, but I think you kind of answered the question. We should do that together sometime. Yeah, I would love to. It's something that I really adore and I don't do oh. nearly as much as I wish I did. I'd love to see your collages. Yeah, I only have ones from like, I don't, really, I don't even know if they exist in physical space anymore. But <laughs> I have ones from way back, but I'm always amazed that that process it's so beautiful it's so fun yeah i think of you every time i see old national geographics i'm like you should pick them up i know i'm like, <laughs> gonna get these for juice she's probably got ten thousand of them but. my friend linda she's um in her 60s actually you should do a podcast with linda she's about to go on a crazy for a year she's going to um rent out her tiny house and um drive around the country in her rv and she's single she's like trying to understand like what intimacy and connection and relationship look like for her in her life as like an older woman um she calls it like her third act yeah but um as people do but she's been anyway she's been like a real inspiration to me in the last year um, but she gave me a shitload of National Geographic. <laughs> <laughs> There's like boxes and boxes and boxes. So anyway, maybe you should keep them for yourself, actually. No, I, yeah, I don't. I mostly just see them at yard sales and stuff. And I'm like, this part of me that's like, you got to have these all now. Keep them, keep them. And I'm like, you know what? There's more of these out there. <laughs> There's more coming. <laughs> when you're ready to sit down and close, you'll be able to find some magazines. That's true. <laughs> Trying to uh, always sort of soften my 
pack rat uh, tendencies. Yeah, I understand that for sure. Yeah. So if you'd be willing to, I'd love to hear about what you're currently getting involved in, why we're down in <laughs> South Royalton, which is which is affectionately referred to as Soro. Soro. Which I think is a cool nickname. Me too. I came from a town nearby that didn't have a cool nickname, so... Um, Straffy. <laughs> also, South Royalton had two teams, like for baseball, when we played them as kids, and they were the Lions and the Royals. Hmm. So, that's the fun fact that is relevant to very few people in the world. <laughs> uh, anyway, so why are you here today, and what are you doing, and why is this meaningful, and what do you see as the value and what's what's going on with your program and your life mm -hmm. in this department? So actually in a very related way to the rest of our conversations, um, I started getting into um, restorative justice as an alternative to the criminal justice system, um, the punishment paradigm in the criminal justice system, the sort of like pursuit of justice, but justice defined by who and who take accountability, who taking accountability for what really, what is accountability, what is justice, like what is connection, what is community, are all questions that the restorative justice field has been interested in for like as long as humans have been practicing community. Um, restorative justice is something that I encountered through my work at the agency in the Department of Corrections, which is one of the departments of the agency, there's a community and restorative justice division that this is like kind of bureaucratic, but they give money to community justice centers across the state to provide basically alternatives to the criminal justice system for communities when harm has been done. And when someone responsible for some harm to another wants to take responsibility for the action that he or she took. And when um, and a hugely significant factor in those experiences and opportunities for an alternative form of justice is the person that was affected by the harm. Are you laughing because I said Justin? <laughs> yeah, I was picturing someone building a different, a different model of We're sort of Justin, Justin. is this awesome dude. <laughs> an alternative model of Justin. <laughs> but um, the, the person affected by the harm has as much of a say as they want in the process. So they can be fully engaged, and it could take a lot of different forms that I can talk about if you're interested in, but they get to essentially say, like, this is what the experience of harm was for me, and this is what has, what I've been feeling since that happened, and essentially voice their experience to members of the community who are volunteering to support this community justice effort, as well as the person who is taking responsibility for the harm. And there's a there's basically a theory that in the hearing and in the understanding of the ripple effects of the harm outside of one's own actions, there's the opportunity to really take accountability for something even bigger than your own actions. And it creates the opportunity for healing for the person who did the harm as well as the person who was affected by the harm. And there's there's no like problem and solution and that like it's not a given that anyone would feel closure out of a restorative justice path than a criminal justice path but the opportunities for people to define what justice and healing would look like is alive there right and i think that that 
you know, we just talked about it in the context of a criminal justice system, but it also happens in schools to create a counter to disciplinary models or a different alternative to discipline. The idea being that like expelling someone from school, suspending them from school, even putting them in detention is a really alienating action. It's isolating for kids. It like creates an identity of like, I'm bad for them, which is totally counter to building community. And so a restorative justice model would have, would be this constant folding back in, the community opening itself up to accepting people that have um, done harm and people who have done harm taking accountability for it and then in so doing like enlivening their own involvement in the community and the belief that like it's the belief like a restorative part of restorative justice um, is sometimes a word that people take issue with because you can't actually like restore anything to what it once was things are always changing but it is a movement to repair relationships and heal tears in communities and create connection and relationships yeah well i'm trying to think what well, do you have a word that would be like if you got to name it hmm. like if not restorative but sort well like you said like building a new model of justice mm -hmm. like it's, it's building something new that is building something new to something that's irreplaceable in a sense right? i don't know if i would have a word to name it but i am like really inspired by the use of the word resilience and the use of the word healing and the use of words like emergence around like people taking responsibility for shaping experiences, recognizing experiences as they're happening, allowing them. I mean, very similar to the conversation you and I were having earlier around like anxiety and presence, <laughs> this ability to like understand what's really happening is what empowers people to be able to shape what can happen, possibilities. Mm. And so I don't know how I would like rename it, but I think that the idea of connection, resilience, emergence is all really important, healing, and how I understand restorative justice. And the reason that I got, became interested in it was because I saw it in kind of like a couple of flash moments of feeling like I understood something, the potential for a restorative justice approach or principles in restorative justice to offer like a reform or different paradigm for social services so that rather than create distance between people or othering between people who are receiving services versus giving services, mm. create community yeah. and see social services, you know, at least the resources that exist there as just part of the fabric of community, not something that you like deserve or have to be eligible for or Something. And it would be a huge radical shift, but I think that planting the seeds around a different paradigm is important to do. Yeah, it it's so parallels to my mind all the stuff that we've already been talking about. Yeah. About how, like, when we as human beings, a lot of times when we're unhappy with somebody else, our instinct is to um, distill them down into something. Right. And label them and ultimately kind of dehumanize them. Right, exactly. And the same, and I see that being most of the way that our, you know, quote-unquote justice system works, criminal justice system and otherwise, and it is, it's that othering. And that othering is what makes most of us do, and you know, inspires us to do 
crappy things to each other that's in the right. first place. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like it's only reinforcing reinforcing that sort of mindset um, by you know putting people in solitary confinement and giving them a label that will make it so they can shame shame them and basically it makes it incredibly difficult to reintegrate into a community even after they've been released from that confinement uh, and that especially when someone does something that is tough to deal with in one way or another it's really easy because of your own grief and anger and whatever else you got going on yourself to to other that person to diminish them as a human and it really is like when you hear the stories of the time when forgiveness actually happens it only ever happens when people are forced to sit down in a in in the some some semblance of res, of restorative justice whether it be organized or it be a pen pal situation or whatever that when they finally the other person gets humanized and they hear the other person's story and start to understand where this behavior came from and even if they never are able to fully forgive the action sometimes the you know the people can find forgiveness for each other right which is beautiful and of course not always possible given personalities and crimes and stuff but right You you know, you talking about that made me think of just this like phrase that I heard from our friend Lauren the other day when she was thinking about how to talk to one of the um, kids that's in her nature based school program and wanting to like (laughs) turning my mic towards the geese. They're (laughs) flying right over us. There's a bald eagle over there. No. Yeah. (gasps) Is that really a bald eagle? Yeah, flying right over the bridge. We're having a good nature moment here, folks. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Here's another flock of Oh, my geese. God. <laughs> honkers on honkers. Honkers on honkers on honkers. Totally derailed what you were saying. Wow. So Lauren was talking. Yes. No, I remember it. to talk to a kid. Yeah, and she, wa- she was like, I kind of just want to say to him, like, remember your power. Like, or you're very powerful and use it for good like you can use it for good and I was just thinking to myself like in that forgiveness like I was picturing two people sitting in a room but like the in the for in the way of forgiveness like recognizing your own capability like your own power for compassion and love and connection and like using that to drive whatever position you find yourself in relative to harm, using that to drive how you're going to move forward is such a powerful mechanism. It's empowering. So like a lot of the things you hear about, a lot of the um, heart of restorative justice you hear about is about empowering voices of people who've been affected by harm to really like move into their own experience of healing. Mm. And I was thinking about that in our earlier conversation, but like that's, that's such a different frame than the punishment model or the alienation model or the disconnection model that we're so steeped in relative to how you respond when someone has done something harmful. And like, I experience it in my like interpersonal relationships, the mechanism of like taking accountability for something that I did and what it feels like to feel hurt by something and to have to move into a healing space or like how trapped you can get in, in a sense of kind of like pigeonholing yourself into one role in a frame of how we think about harm, it like stifles 
the opportunity, or it like breaks the opportunity to build connection together and a new understanding of something that happened that was hurtful. Mm. Like, you know, I'm thinking just like of a like difficult conversation that my partner and I had last night, but like how to move through that requires just attention and like a will and a trust in yourself that you have power to make a different choice in the future or claim accountability for something. And that like you yourself are bigger than the things that you've done or the things that have happened to you. And, um, yeah, I think that that's really powerful. (sighs) There was something else I was going to say that I forgot about with the bald eagle. (laughs) That was really cool. Um, Yeah. I think people talk about like a crisis of disconnection in our society generally right now. And, oh, I remember. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about the, uh, to think about what are the scenarios or like the structures or the paradigms that you interact with on a day-to-day basis, like the punishment model being one of those, or even the internal family systems paradigm being a different one. Um, And like, does it honor the way in which everything fundamentally alive is interconnected or does it rely on a sense of like individualism and aloneness mm. yeah and i think the punishment paradigm is very self-protective it's like you did something bad you go away and part of that is the need to protect me and like mine and i think that um it's a very different, you would have a very different response if your operating paradigm was we're all in this together. And when you feel hurt or shame, even as a result of having done harm, it also hurts me. Like it creates another harm. Yeah. I remember hearing about, um, a a certain society, or I, I think actually this was pretty widespread when, when we lived in much smaller communities and hunter gatherer type stuff. And, it's like there was that sort of built-in accountability. So if you did something crappy <laughs> that didn't commi- contribute to the community or was um, like really self-serving but not community-serving, then they would kind of just put you on blast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not to like, not like the way that we sort of publicly shame people today, but like we see that you've done this. We're all still here. Yeah. And we're not okay as a community with that. Right. So you, you're making a choice to do that. You have the opportunity to make a choice to do something else. Right. And most of us in this culture don't have that sort of support or that compassion of like, you fucked up once (laughs) and we really, we all fuck up once Yeah. at least. Uh, and like we, we see you, we love you. That's not, that's not in line with these standards that we've chosen as a community shape up. Right. And Cause, you know, cause there's not space for that kind of, there's not space for that kind of attitude within this community. That's right. And then, so you think, well, what does that look like? Like, how do you have that conversation where it's like we, and we're talking to you like that's different than a one com- one-on-one conversation, like in a room when someone comes in with their head hanging down or like you've asked them to be there so that you can communicate these standards that were sort of broken. But like, you, I know, and I think a lot of people have experienced um, restorative formats before in circles. Like peacemaking mm-hmm. circles are kind of an original form of restor- restorative justice that are still practiced widely today and are being integrated into all sorts of different um, 
groups with different intentions to do things together and to share in the practice of like developing a common sense of what's important and then to maintain shared accountability for that in the talking through of inevitable harms, whether big or small, related to what we've established as important. And that kind of like, that kind of like collective governance is really interesting to me. And I think um, you see it like full circle back to conversations about Loomis, where we first lived together. Like Trav used to host um, house dinners or house meetings where you'd come together. Maybe we were talking about buying a trampoline. Maybe we were talking about like when Jeremy made fish in the slow cooker <laughs> and everybody's clothes on like fish for a week or whatever. But um, that was an intentional place of like promoting a restorative approach even before a particular harm might have happened to say this is how we come together and share in conversations about what's important and how we each contribute and all of us are important like we need to all be at the house meeting yeah. you know what i mean yeah so it allows you to belong feel belonging to a community and it also allows you to deal with things as they come up and when we don't spend the time trying to build those opportunities for for like a group relationship a collective governance structure we fall into sort of default mechanisms of power and hierarchy and who makes decisions and we like position ourselves again in an unhelpful frame yeah i <laughs> i went to this workshop the other day that was about circle processes mm. oh yeah right and, and it was advertised as you know a restorative justice thing and i thought i was like going to learn this like <laughs> new process <laughs> which is not to, I, I don't want to like no, no no come off as like i already know that but but it, but i didn't realize until it was like outlined and i was like oh i'm I, i'm so glad that i've been in situations like this in so many communities that i've been involved right with right and facilitated them myself and yes. been part of like these different groups that i really care about governing as as a group mm -hmm. and I was thinking about there was a time when I was leading co-leading a trip in Alaska a million years ago we were out really in the middle of nowhere and we were walking up this river valley and my co-leader was in the front of the group and I was behind we were backpacking I can't tell ahead of time how relevant this is but <laughs> I'm gonna go for it <laughs> and um, and he was was a, a ways ahead and I had scouted a way to get up and out of the valley that seemed very reasonable um, <laughs> and and he started to bring the first few guys up a very steep slope that I didn't think was safe and I didn't realize it because we had gotten some distance between us until I got to the base of that slope and they were already a ways up it and I'm not gifted with a voice that carries very far at all. <laughs> like there was other times in that trip when I would like try to yell to the, and nobody would even notice all. And I'd get one of the kids to yell and they'd like look over immediately. I just don't know how to, my voice does not project far. And so I could not communicate to him and the way that I would like to be able to, which was to say, I'm not on board with this. We're co-leaders. I don't feel safe. I, I as a leader, I don't feel safe with other people's children bringing up this in, into this environment. And I couldn't figure out a way to communicate that effectively. And I felt really kind of scared and helpless in that moment. And so I wasn't willing to go up there. So I took the few dudes that I had with me <laughs> and went back and we went up the, which was, it's not, this, the story is not to make me or anyone else right or wrong. 
I want to make that clear. It was a miscommunication, and there was knowledge that I had that he didn't, and vice versa. And so I was walking up with them, and, and a couple of them happened to be um, participants that I had had on a long trip the summer before. And I was talking about what was going on with me because we were close and in this, you know, intimate experience together. And I realized, like, as we were, we, it gave us, a, I don't know, an hour or so apart to really, and I really checked in with myself and I kind of talked it out with these guys. And I'm thinking, I have the biggest charge about this. I probably have the biggest charge about this, what just happened, what is currently happening. And so maybe in this case, it's most important right now that I hear everybody else's story before I get mm. in because it might not be the story that it might not match up mm -hmm. with anyone else's. And so when we got to the top of this cliff, you know, they came up over the lip and we came up like along, you know, the other way. And I grabbed an antler because out there there's tons of caribou antlers all over the place and stuff. Wow. Yeah, it's just a ridiculous place. And and, I was, and as we all sat down, this is the talking antler, and I just said, I want to hear each of your experiences of what just happened over the last hour and a half. And wow. it was really interesting to me because it was that thing. Everyone had a different judgment about how safe it was to go up there, whether they were scared, whether it was not a big deal to them, blah, blah, blah. I got to hear my co-leaders, um, you know, view on it. And it it's not like it was magically fixed in that one circle and I'm like no master facilitator, but it was, it was helpful to, for me to hear the different experiences. And then like, it kind of, it definitely took time for us to reconnect as co-leaders. Cause it, it definitely, i I had a sense of being like, I thought that it betrayed our, you know, contract as co-leaders and stuff and blah, blah. I had these, all these stories surrounding it. This is whatever. But, um, but I was just thinking that when I was sitting in this workshop, I was like, oh, yeah, like what they're describing somehow already was doing a long time ago. And I don't remember learning that process Well, <laughs> but it's, it, because it's like in us as a human. That's right. And yeah. I love that story so much because it it demonstrates the way that something like a circle process is just born out of our understanding that our perspective is fundamentally um, skewed. Or I guess bias is another way to say it. But another way to say it is just like individuated. Like mm. we don't have omniscience as individual humans. Like we have our experience and our brains and like where we're standing relative to something happening in a given moment. And that it's actually a really human process like a, and a, like a human soulful process of healing our separate consciousnesses by building an understanding of truth together, mm. which means asking about other people's experiences before you come to conclusions or harden ideas about your own, um, like getting to a sense of what is shared reality. Um, because in it, I'm sure that not only yours, but everybody around that circle had their perspective changed about what had just happened by listening to one another. It's just like if you're staring at like I mean, whatever, I was about to use a really stupid metaphor, but like a cube or something like that. Like if you see just one side of it, it looks like a square. Yeah. And so it's just the process of building a shared reality is I think at the, at the heart of the practice of restorative justice and knowing that we need each other to do that because we're fundamentally interconnected. Yeah. It's like that thing of the blind people. With the elephant? With the elephant. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but I think that's really special. And it doesn't necessarily mean, as we were saying before, and as you just said in this story, that like full closure or something comes out of it. Like we experience grief still in our lives about like things that happen and change and but it does contribute to healing. It's like a move towards closeness, away from closeness. Yeah. And it's sort of constant realigning towards a sense of belonging and together and connection. And I think ultimately, I think it's like very existential. Like when I think about this, I'm just like, yeah. Cause like I was born and then I became like a human in my bodied, I mean my body, <laughs> embodied in my body with like my particular brain and like now I'm living my life through this. And when I die, I'll like re-engage with like everything that exists at once. And for this time that I'm alive, it's going to be a struggle because I'm like separate from you. Like I'm sitting here and like we're, I don't know, five inches away from each other or something like that. And we're like our butt is on the same piece of thing. But like our butts, I mean, it's two separate butts. <laughs> it's not one butt, it's two. And so like it's going to be a process forever of like trying to re-engage the oneness and I feel like the circle process that you initiate is a perfect example of what it feels like to be compelled towards that cool <laughs> so like uh, yeah well and it seems like that's the work that you're endeavoring to do is that wrong no like, I mean it's it, in some ways it feels like desperate and actually unrelated to anything professional because I feel the like hurt like, I think a lot of the anxiety I was describing before comes from a sense of being alone. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's not true. So how can I rebuild my sense of actually being fundamentally connected? And I tend to do that, better or worse, from, like, an intellectual place first, which is, I think, why I was like, I need to go to school for this. <laughs> I want to spend time, like, sitting in a room with other people and, like, reading a book and then talking about it. But people come to it in all sorts of ways. You did when you picked up the caribou antler. Like, Clara, Andrew, my partner's daughter, who's eight, heard um, me and Andrew like arguing about dinner or something like petty one night and she was in the other room and she came in to the room with a piece of paper almost a rolled out almost like a scribe yeah. you know or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I'm talking about yeah. a scroll wait did I whatever yeah and um she had written on it these like I want to say it was 12 steps but I might just be getting that mixed up with this 12 step program but it was like called conflict corner spelled incorrectly as you might imagine with like k's and c's and whatever <laughs> conflict corner at the top and then there were like 12 things to do when conflict arises and she had essentially memorized it verbatim from what they had talked about in class when they were building a restorative program in their second grade classroom yeah. around like what happens when like one of you is mean to the other one or like when you feel hurt by something and they were things like you know you go to the conflict corner and you can tell a joke to lighten the mood or you can give someone a compliment or you, like all these things just about like how to make a positive connection. And I was like, this is it. I think I probably like decided that I was going to go to school for that like mm -hmm. that week. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I think that I don't I can't speak for like everyone in the world, but my own life and this has something to do with my own, you know, history and childhood and stuff. But I think that when that opportunity for connection and reconciliation and really just hearing the story of where each person is coming from when that is not afforded for whatever reason, I think that's one of the absolute, I get really 
sad about that. I think it's one of the hardest things to move past when you have to just never when when you don't get that opportunity to hear the other person and really hear what they're where they were coming from and also to really share where you are coming from and have that of course you, there's no guarantees about any solution or resolution but just to have that opportunity and yeah i mean there's obvious examples that i continue to to struggle with uh, in my own life being disconnected from people i wish i wasn't and uh and yeah i'm i'm so glad that kids are learning this in, in a lot of schools this kind of stuff about not just punishing each other or getting punished but learning about what needs are trying to get met learning about listening mm-hmm. to one another and recognizing the spaces that they have in common and connect with over the ones that are presenting which are you know more on the face disconnecting or uh, you know op- magnet opposite sides of magnets or whatever same side mm-hmm. you know, I can't think of the word yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like yeah um I have a question for you that I like to that this has come up through the podcast that I often forget to ask people but I really am fascinated by it's pretty unrelated okay which is if you had a little card if we all had little cards that would describe something about us that in a social situation or when you it's like when you meet me (laughs) these are the things that don't really fit in with social norms and it would be really good to know so that you know that I'm not being a dick or um, like these are the things I do. Yeah, and and that might not fit into the boxes of of you know general polite society, or whatever. But it would be good to know. I'm thinking about it even during this conversation because for me, one of them is not making eye contact when I talk with people and looking at their faces because I get very distracted by faces. Uh huh. Because <laughs> I do drawings and stuff, and and I start to just study people, and then I forget to listen. So part of like I'd like people to know that because I'm not. I listen better when I don't look at you, mm. even though we're all taught to like look people in the eye and nod and you know do all these sort of good I've listening got a good skills. One. So, what would be your on your card? I think this just came up kind of recently, so it's sort of good. But something I've noticed that I do is like I have to. It's almost like when you're kind of slow going into the ocean, you need to like get used to it a little. Like you have your like feet in the water and you're like playing with the sand a little bit. And then you're getting ready to dive in. That's just like exactly my experience in socializing. It's like, I hate that this is true for me in some ways. I know that's an aggressive thing to say, but, but like sometimes I just require like a tiny bit of small talk before mm. I can actually move fluidly into like a deeper conversation. And I get really flustered about it because I'm embarrassed that I need to be like, how's it going? Or like, how are you? And start this, even if I haven't seen someone in like, a month or something but it's just me fearing social interaction and trying to get myself comfortable mm. so I think I'd just be like please bear with me for the small talk for like just like I swear like a minute and then we can move beyond I love that <laughs> I love that so much especially because I really really disdain have disdain for small talk like yeah I'm really terrible at it and I just have no patience for it and I love knowing that about you because I've also had other situations, like when I've seen you in passing, and I'm like, Drew, like, why so? Why are you being polite? Like, why are you, why are you chit chatty? Like, we're buds. And then it's like so nice to hear that. And yeah. Like, now I have context for a future. Like, okay, 
this is what Drew needs to do to settle in. And that's okay. I can do it for a minute. Thank you. Like, I can do, I can give that. It's, I can get over myself to do that. <laughs> I love, I, I love learning these things about people. And I wish that we could all have our little cards. Me too. Or little signs. That's that a say, great idea. Like, this is a, this is what's up. Um, do you have any uh, music and or movies that you would like to recommend to the people in the world that they might not, that you're really jiving with that people might not know about? Yeah. So, Andrew's... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love that. Yeah. Andrew's kids love Miyazaki movies. Oh, yeah. And so we've been kind of going through them systematically, and we just watched, I think it's called Laputa or Lapunta. I don't know that one, but... It's we can it's look it up. I'll otherwise look it up called sure. like the castle in the sky. Oh, the castle in the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just watched that one, and it was so good. Wait, how's moving castle? No, it's different. Okay. I think it's different. Castle it's about a sky. castle that's like, I don't want to give anything away, but it's about like this time, this moment in the world where some people are living in the clouds on these kind of like propeller-driven mm-hmm. machines. I haven't seen it. Before. Okay. I, yeah. And then um, <laughs> the other thing I've been watching a lot of is British Bake Off. And I just can't recommend it more highly. It's like really a beautiful human. Is that the thing. great, the great? Yeah, British the Great British baking, Bake Off or the Great show? British Baking Show. Uh, somewhere along the line, they changed the name because okay. I think it changed okay. production companies. Whatever. I'm way behind. So definitely, I would recommend that. I cry every episode. Mm. It's really healing. <laughs> they love each other. The competitors. They become really close. They support each other. They help each other. It's good. And then. Um, Alice Phoebe Lou is the musician I would recommend. Ooh, don't know her. Alice Phoebe Lou. She's from South Africa. She's amazing. Um, kind of like moody vibes, um, but also kind of like cool, radical, interesting lyrics. She's awesome. That would be like the one recommendation so that people actually look it up. Yeah, and I'll put, um, I'll look all these things up and put them in the show cool. notes too so that they're written down. For nice. those of us who aren't taking notes in the moment. The song Orbit is one I would recommend. Okay, cool. Definitely. Um, what about food? Is there any foods that mm. you've recently discovered or are loving? So I, I'm vegan, and I've just learned how to make um, these delicious muffins that I will give you the recipe for. But if you Google it, you just Google healthy vegan muffins <laughs> just period no, no no flavor or anything i think it'll be the first one to pop up there's applesauce involved there's carrots involved super good cool <laughs> <laughs> um we have to get you have to go to class soon. yeah so i'm aware that time is dwindling and i'm just wondering um if you i'm doing a good job today for my my pretty dumbed down brain of remembering the things that I always wish that I asked people that are sort of like continuing Good. things, like the things to ask to each person. Um, and I'm wondering, like, if you, and this will be edgy for you, I'm thinking. Okay. So you, you can say no, of course. Okay. But if you had like one minute left and we're watching like this big bomb drop in right now and we're like, oh, we know that kind of bomb. It takes a minute to drop. What would you want to say to your fellow humans? Uh, as as your uh, your sort of message, your distilled messages. This is what I got from Drew. I mean, like honestly, 
I don't know if I would even take a whole minute <laughs> to say it. I think I would just be like, I love you, like so deeply, like deeper than I could ever articulate. And like the small talk never mattered. <laughs> and like, that's probably it. You mean like if the world was about to end? Yep. Yeah. I don't know what else there would be to say. <laughs> well, I don't know either. Okay. But I love you so much. I love you too. And thanks so much for doing this for for me and for us and for the world. And that's it. Thanks, Noah. I really appreciate it. Yep. Love you. Cause there 